It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Kennedy. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. I'm Lisa Brady. There's a growing call to fund police with recent reforms in some big cities under scrutiny. We're seeing basically legal jailbreaks disguised as criminal justice reform. I'm Dave Anthony. The midterm elections are now six weeks away. Democrats can't just let this election cycle be defined by the Republicans. They do need to go on the offensive and they do need to understand that voters want to hear proactive plans from them, not just that their opponent is bad. And I'm Robert Jeffress. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It's crime gone viral. Video footage of a crowd of kids ransacking a convenience store in Philadelphia. It was approximately 50 to 100 people uh, the while I was completely sacked um, by the kids coming inside and destroying things. Police Captain John Ryan says they're believed to have come from a nearby roller rink that had only recently reopened. And he says police will use the video to hold each and every one of them accountable. It's one of the latest examples of rising crime around the country. In Chicago, local activists say they're preparing to start their own patrols in the transit system. White House spokeswoman Corinne Jean-Pierre sidestepping a question on whether President Biden thinks America's big cities are safe. It is not a yes or no question. It is very much a question of what has he done? That's how we see the question is what has he done? She says the president secured historic funding for law enforcement. A report from the Council on Criminal Justice says homicides in the U.S. declined for the first half of 2022 compared to the same time last year. But the homicide rate is still 39 percent higher than early 2019 before the pandemic. And thefts and robberies are up by about 20 percent this year compared to last year. Amid persistent questions about whether reform efforts may be at least partly to blame. Well, I think that we have been engaged in criminal justice reform in many states throughout the country for about a decade now. John McKinney is a deputy district attorney for Los Angeles County. And I think a lot of the reform is good. It's certainly well-intentioned, but I don't think the execution of it has been good. I think we have a lot of ham-handed execution. We have a lot of legislation that's being rushed. It's not being piloted. It's not being rolled out in a way that tests whether it's going to have unintended consequences or not. And I think that's happening here in California and it's happening all over the country. When you say reforms, I know one of the things that comes to mind for a lot of people because it's been so publicized is bail reform. Um, but there are stories about people, you know, being stuck in jail because they can't afford bail. Is there a middle ground with something like that, an ankle bracelet system or, or you know, something that can work better than what's happening now? Yeah, well, historically, there's always been an alternative to cash bail. It's not talked about often in the media, but here in California, at least, people are released on their own recognizance all the time. Uh, it has been historically true that People who are low income and even people with means are not routinely uh, committed to custody if they don't pose a danger to the community or a flight risk. And oftentimes prosecutors don't even object in those cases where someone should 
clearly be released uh, without bail. So it, it sounds like you're saying in some cases, if existing rules were just adhered to in a better way or, or handled differently, then maybe there wouldn't be such a great you know, call for reform. Maybe existing rules would, would work better. Um, sentencing reform is another thing that's been happening around the country. What about people who say, you know, look, that's an area where things were too harsh and reforms were needed? Yes, I believe in proportional justice. Absolutely. And um, I do think that if we go back to the 1990s, when violent crime was at historic highs on average throughout the country, uh, violent crime rose on average 400 percent from the 1960s to the 1990s. It was a real crisis. And a lot of our lower income communities were crying out for help and felt that they were being ignored at the time. Our, our lower income communities uh, were of the belief that the government didn't care about us because if they cared about us, they would do something about it. Ultimately, government did respond in a very aggressive and heavy handed way to crime. And one of the things that happened over the next 15 years is crime dropped steadily. So there were some things that we did during that period of time with our law that helped bring the violent crime rate down. The critique is that the system was broken and never worked. Well, the critique is wrong because that's exactly what happened. If the critique is we brought the crime rate down, but we were a little too aggressive and heavy handed and some people got caught up in aggressive sentencing who shouldn't have been, then that is a fair critique. Those are concerns that we can address, but you don't address those concerns with blanket policies, which is what we're seeing. We're seeing basically legal jailbreaks disguised as criminal justice reform. What you do is you look at the offender, you look at the crime, you look at the particulars, and you ask in this particular case, was this person sentenced fairly? And if the answer is no, then you adjust for that. I think you partly answered one of my next questions, which is how can district attorneys um, assure, you know, that justice is happening without losing the trust of the community? Because after 2020, you know, there seemed to be, especially with all of the demonstrations that happened around the country, seemed to be a popular belief that the justice system was unfair, especially to people of color. Yeah, 2020 was... <laughs> an extraordinary year. We had the pandemic and we had a number of protests around the country, especially after the killing of George Floyd. And I think that was a very, very significant uh, event that impacted our criminal justice systems all over the country. And the country rightfully was outraged by that and reacted to that. We're looking back on that now and wondering whether or not that reaction was too impulsive and not well thought out because we got a lot of bad law as an emotional response to what happened in Minnesota. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing a slight correction for what was really an overreaction in the way that some of these laws were devised and implemented. There wasn't an overreaction to the horror of the killing of George Floyd, but an overreaction in the way government responded with certain laws that you know, came under the rubric of criminal justice reform. But I think prosecutors can win back the confidence of people. People want public safety. We want fairness in our criminal justice system. We want accountability and we want victims to feel supported. 
that's what our district attorney should be focused on, not politicizing the criminal justice system, not politicizing the courts, which is a big problem that we have here in Los Angeles right now. We have a district attorney who's more of a politician. He wants a job in Washington, D.C. He's really not interested in making Los Angeles a better community. And that's why we've been working to call the public's attention to him so that we can get him out. He's talking about L.A. County District Attorney George Gascon, who had been facing a possible recall election, but opponents didn't have enough valid signatures this summer to get a recall on the ballot, just a few months after the San Francisco D.A. was recalled. McKinney says he and two other longtime prosecutors in Gascon's office have been reassigned, and that his transfer from a major crimes division to an office overseeing misdemeanor prosecutions feels like retaliation for supporting the recall effort. Gascon's office says it routinely conducts personnel transfers, and the DA has denied being soft on crime. Well, he's doing an absolutely terrible job of being the chief law enforcement officer in Los Angeles County. Los Angeles County is the largest county in the country, and it's my belief that the L.A. County District Attorney is the most consequential elected official in our county because he has jurisdiction over more than 10 million people every day. And he came in with an agenda. The agenda was about ending, quote unquote, mass incarceration, which means prosecute less and go in and try and resentence people who were already convicted, sometimes many years ago, convicted, had their cases upheld on appeal, had their cases fail in the courts of writs, And it'd be one thing if the people he was working to release deserve to be released. I have no problem with the resentencing unit that looks at cases on a case-by-case basis to determine whether or not some of these people have matured to the point where they're no longer a danger to society or they were over-sentenced to begin with. We should get them out. But what we shouldn't do is go in with this idea that we're just going to get as many people out as possible, whether or not they still pose a danger to the community. Nationwide, in addition to the criticism that he and other prosecutors have had over certain reforms and how much of a driver that is in rising crime rates, what about things like the economy? What about um, the federal government and, and funding? I mean, the White House says the president's focus is making sure cities have the resources they need. So how much is crime tied to what the federal government does or doesn't do, for instance, or the state of the economy. You know, are there other things that are a factor here? There are a lot of factors that drive the crime rate. I will point out that the crime rate dropped dramatically during the Great Depression, and it also dropped precipitously recently during the Great Recession. So, No, it's not just the rise and fall of the economy that drives the crime rate. But I think it's clear in Los Angeles, although I wouldn't put, you know, every crime that occurs, I wouldn't lay at the feet of the district attorney. But I do think that he has created an environment in Los Angeles where criminals thrive. Our residents are suffering. Our businesses are suffering. And on top of all that, you know, we have a homeless problem that also dovetails with a crime problem that's not being properly addressed. Just one other quick thing for you, given the level of unease, you know, that many people are expressing, especially with what's really become a quality of life issue in some areas, what can local governments do to help people feel safer? Well, the most immediate thing that government can do is hire police officers. 
Now, the police officers have to be good hires, smart hires, well-trained. The philosophy of the police department has to be one of service, not combat. But when police officers are on the street and part of the community, they deter crime. Now, these police officers have to also be able to be somewhat proactive in how they do their jobs. And that's one of the great debates in this country. Do we want police to just sit around the station and wait for a call? Or do we want them out there on our streets visible, being visible and also looking for justification to engage in an investigation? Because that's the way a lot of contraband is taken off the streets. Now, here in Los Angeles, I think we're in a posture with our police and the policies of policing, whereby police have been discouraged to engage in proactive policing. And the result of that is, yes, there are fewer stops, but the fact that there are fewer stops mean people, especially gang members, they get the idea that police aren't going to stop them. And that's unacceptable. And I, I think you asked me, you know, do I see the pendulum swinging or do I think things are turning around? And I do. I just don't know how much it's going to move from where it is now. But it, but there at least seems to be a stop to going toward these more progressive ideas of defunding and abolishing our public safety apparatus. L.A. County Deputy D.A. John McKinney, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is Robert Jeffress with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's still September, six weeks before the midterm elections, but early voting has begun in some states. And Republicans hope Americans are ready to fire Democrats. They have no plan to fix all the problems they created. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says the GOP does. We've created a commitment to America. It's focused on the economy, public safety, freedom, and government accountability. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi calls it a commitment to MAGA extremism. But Democratic California Governor Gavin Newsom says they can't just keep counterpunching. Where are we? Where are we organizing bottom-up a compelling alternative narrative? Where are we going on the offense every single day? Newsom, a potential 2024 presidential candidate, told a Texas Tribune event over the weekend. They're winning right now. The Democratic Party has to assert itself much more aggressively. Now, some Democrats think they are gaining ground in the quest to keep control of Congress, prompting House Republicans to try harder. I think them putting this out is an acknowledgement that the Republicans aren't where they should be right now. Liz Smith is a Democratic strategist. She was an advisor to Pete Buttigieg's 2020 presidential campaign. Traditionally, the party that is out of power sort of romps in these midterms. But after the Dobbs decision came down, you know, we saw Democrats creep up in the generic ballot. We've seen Democrats get stronger positions in key Senate races. But what Leader McCarthy was trying to do was sort of to reset the conversation and have 
a discussion uh, that's more favorable to them and, you know, less about abortion, which is an issue that um, they are really hurting on um, in race after race across the country. Certainly the abortion decision by the Supreme Court put that into play for Democrats, obviously. But in many polls, including the ABC News Washington Post poll that came out over the weekend, inflation and the economy Many more people call that a top issue than abortion. About 62% said abortion was a top issue. The number was in the 70s, around 80 for the economy and inflation. That's what Republicans have hit on. And in that poll, it shows that people give Republicans a 14-point edge handling the economy. So is that a concern to you? Even though abortion is a big issue, it's not to the same level. Yeah, of course it is a concern to me. It certainly depends state by state. So, for instance, in Michigan, where abortion is literally on the ballot, that is the number one issue for voters. But in other states, we see immigration as a top issue. We see the economy as a top issue. So it's incumbent upon Democrats to go out and make the case for why they are better able to handle uh, the economy than Republicans. I mean, why they are the party that has delivered more relief to the American people. And They need to acknowledge, right, that they haven't fixed everything. Joe Biden hasn't fixed everything. Congressional Democrats haven't fixed anything. But they have gone out and pushed uh, programs like the American Rescue Plan, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Plan, CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act. And while they were pushing all of these things, Republicans across the board voted against them. The Inflation Reduction Act, Democrats, the president has been trying to sell that as well. But... They admit that that's not anything that inflation generally is not going to come down because of that law. Certainly prescription drug prices for seniors will be reduced, but they have a hard time selling any short term inflation gain, which Republicans have seized on saying, see, it's not going to work. They don't know what to do. Well, this is what I would say, is that health care costs are a massive, massive concern for American voters for my entire lifetime and especially right now. And part of the pain that people are feeling are these out-of-pocket health care costs that, that they're paying. And the Inflation Reduction Act does cap the price of insulin for seniors, and it does um, allow Medicare to negotiate for lower drug prices. And while I hear you that it might not you know, bring down inflation writ large, it does say something about the priorities of the two parties. And Democrats can go out there and say, hey, look, Everything isn't perfect right now, but we are at least trying to you know, lower some of your costs and it might not happen overnight. But while we are doing these things, the Republican Party is out there voting against that. And why are they doing that? Is it because they oppose you know, lower drug prices or is it because they don't want to help deliver any wins for the Democrats because they think it will help them win in November? Either way, that doesn't make a great case for the Republican Party. But what is the case for Democrats? I, you, you keep saying that we we haven't done it all, but we give us more time, essentially. Is that what Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, said over the weekend was that you're losing? The party is losing. You never go on the offense and Republicans are beating you. Do you agree with him on that? No, I do not agree with him. And I think we've we've really seen a lot of Democrats go on the offensive in gubernatorial and Senate races across the country. But there's no doubt that we can always be maybe a little tougher, because if it is just a referendum on the party in power, 
we know traditionally that that's that's not a good thing. Um, and so we really, really, really need to reinforce the choice for voters going into November and going into these last six weeks. So who leads the way for Democrats? Six weeks until the midterms, President Biden's job approval rating in the Washington Post ABC News polls at 39 percent. Nancy Pelosi's the House Speaker, of course. Is she the lead figure? I mean, who, who's running the campaign messaging theme, overall themes for Democrats. What's really important is that it isn't just one person. Every Democrat across the country needs to run their own race. And that's how they will be successful. And that's why you see, you know, Arizona, for instance, should be a really, really tough state um, for Democrats this year. But you see Mark Kelly consistently outpolling the Republican Blake Masters there. And you've seen national groups pull funding for Masters in terms of advertising. And what that tells me is that if Democrats can run their own races, um, whether they're in blue states, purple states, red states, um, and develop a uh, strong brand for themselves, that that will be the path to victory. So do you think President Biden is sidelined, marginalized in some way since he's not on the ballot? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's certainly, you know, he's um, had a successful run in recent months um, after, I think, sort of maybe some moments of frustration. And I think what's important for him to do is focus on the things that that he can really affect. Right. And that is, you know, governing in Washington. And he needs to let candidates run their own races. And there are some states where Joe Biden will be an asset and who will be invited to campaign. But there are other states, frankly, where he he isn't as much of an asset. And um, everything that I've seen thus far from Joe Biden in this White House is that he understands that and isn't going to try to insert himself in a race like, you know, the Ohio Senate race, where, frankly, his presence wouldn't be helpful. Are Democrats hoping that the pro-Trump candidates, the ones that President Biden calls extreme MAGA, will kind of self-implode? that Democrats will win because of them in some of these key races, and that's what will help them in in November? Well, that's, you know, that's certainly a factor, right? And let's take the example of the Pennsylvania governor's race, right, which I mentioned before. The New York Times had a story out there just about how Mastriano, the Trump-backed candidate who won the primary, He's get his crowd sizes are you know abysmal. His fundraising has completely stalled. His polling numbers are also quite low. But it's not that just that he's imploding. You have a Democratic candidate in Josh Shapiro, who's the current Attorney General of Pennsylvania, who is going out there and running you know, one of the best campaigns in the country. So he's not just going out there and saying, oh, my candidate is, you know, my opponent is ultra MAGA. He's saying, I am someone who will, you know, fight to create more good jobs. I am someone who will fight to keep you safe. He is a Democrat that's running on a pro public safety message. And it's really, really smart because going back to your earlier question, Democrats can't just let this election cycle be defined by the Republicans. They do need to go on the offensive and they do need to understand that voters want to hear proactive plans from them, not just that their opponent is bad. But President Biden keeps calling their opponents bad. The MAGA Republicans control the Republican Party right now, and that's self-evident. That's self-evident. So there's a lot at stake here. And he says they are dangerous to democracy. It's become a litmus test in their party to pledge loyalty to Donald Trump by buying into the big lie. Now, the former president says it's Biden who's dangerous. 
Of course, those two could face off again in 2024. But back to that ABC Washington Post poll, more than half of Democrats, 56 percent, say they don't want President Biden to be their nominee. He even said last week he's not sure he'll run again. I don't think it will be a factor in the midterms. You know, I know Emerson had a poll out the other day where Biden's approval was at 45 percent, which was higher than where Trump was at this time in 2018, where Obama was at this time in 2010, where Bill Clinton was at um, this time in 1994. And well, at least two of those three guys um, won re-election. And When I see these polls, I always go back and look to the 2012 election when I was the director of rapid response for Barack Obama. Right after the um, 2010 midterms, there were there was a lot of grumbling that Barack Obama wasn't going to be able to win in 2012 because his approval numbers were so low. And Republicans, Um, they they had a huge election victory. They just had dozens and dozens of seats. They were in the House. Right. A a massive wave election. Right. Right after Obamacare. Right. Right, right, right. And, you know, ironically, you even saw people write in columns saying he should step down and Hillary Clinton should be the nominee, which is, you know, if you look back on history, uh, I think Democrats ended up making the right call with sticking with Barack Obama in that election. But it just goes to show how quickly things can change. And so I don't think the Democrats should turn their backs on Joe Biden right now. And I think that he absolutely should run for re-election. And if it's a Donald Trump versus Joe Biden election in 2024, as many people are predicting, um, Joe Biden's already beaten him once. I think he knows the playbook and would be Democrats' strongest candidate against Donald Trump. Six weeks from now, do you think Democrats can keep control of Congress? It's really, really hard to beat historical trends. And count me up as one of those people who is a little bit skeptical of how rosy the polling is for Democrats. Um, and, you know, we saw this movie before and in 2020 where the polls were um, a lot rosier for Democrats and the uh, election results ended up being, um, especially in House races. So that gives me a lot of skepticism right now. And so I think we do hold the Senate, but we narrowly lose the House. Liz Smith, Democratic political strategist, former advisor to Pete Buttigieg in the 2020 campaign, also author of Any Given Tuesday, A Political Love Story. Great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Robert Jeffress. What's on your mind? A new Pew Religion study has been making the rounds. It projects that self-identified Christians will find themselves in the minority in America by the year 2045. The study's prediction seems likely based on current trends. America as a culture has been steadily moving away from historic Christianity and toward unbelief. That's not new. But some worry about what this will mean, and I think it's important to clarify an important reality. The decline of Christianity in America will have a tremendous negative impact on America, but no negative impact on Christianity. 
As a Christian, I already know how the story ends. Christianity will outlast every man-made institution. When the Lord returns, He will establish His kingdom and reign over all the earth, the Bible tells us. What Americans today believe about Jesus will certainly affect each one of them eternally, but it won't change God's plan for the end of history. Although Christianity may be diminishing in America, it is exploding in many places throughout the world. The energy in the global church is not dead. It has simply migrated elsewhere. Christ continues His work in the world, even if American hearts have been hardened. So, Christianity will be just fine. But the loss of Christianity will have devastating consequences for America. It already has. Our social dysfunctions and the rampant unhappiness in our culture come directly from the loss of Christian faith. When we lose God, we can't enjoy His gifts or use them properly. There's no longer a moral center, no fixed point for us to order our society around. Instead, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Surveys and trends are interesting, but they don't change our responsibilities. Every week, I'm praying and working toward a new spiritual awakening in our country. The same should be true for every true Christian. As I talk about in my new book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, we are called by Christ to be salt and light in a decaying and darkening world. There is still time to turn back from the destructive path America is following. And if we will do that, we will find God's mercy and experience God's blessing. As the psalmist wrote 3,000 years ago, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This is Robert Jeffress for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.